All right. Well, are you ready for the word? I'm excited to bring you the word. I'm excited to share the word. Title of my message this morning is Numa, and my subtitle today is Sin, Righteousness, and Judgment. Uh, Numa is a Greek word which we get the word Holy Spirit from in the New Testament. Uh, Numa also refers to wind or uh, breath or a current of air or a blast of air. Okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the word pneuma or the word, the word wind is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And so wind, as you know, cannot be physically seen, but its effects can be seen, right? You can go outside and the wind is blowing and you can't see the wind, but you can see the leaves that are blowing up because of the wind. You go outside and you're wearing a hat and the wind blows upon you uh, hard enough and your hat will blow off. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And when the Holy Spirit is moving on a church or moving on an individual, you might not be able to see the Holy Spirit, but you will be able to see the effects on the person or on the church. When the Holy Spirit is moving upon a person, uh, they make different decisions, right? They live differently. They act differently. They speak differently. They think differently. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in people's lives. And I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to the grace place today. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to every individual in this place today. He wants to do something in your life. Amen? You know, we focus a lot of our attention on having a relationship with Jesus. But how do you have a relationship with Jesus when he's seated at the right hand of the Father? You have a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Amen? He sent his Spirit to us for us. And I think it's time for us to develop and cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You, you know, many people miss out on this amazing relationship you can have with the Holy Spirit because you don't understand. We don't understand what his purpose is. We view the Holy Spirit as an it instead of a person. You see, the Holy Spirit, I can take you to scripture after scripture. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotions. You know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. When you and I sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit because it breaks intimacy with the Father and, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. You see, many of us, we treat the Holy Spirit like my wife treats pillows. The other day, I was laying, I was laying on my bed just chilling, not messing with anybody, minding my own business, and all of a sudden... My wife comes and yanks the pillow from underneath my head. And I'm like, what? What in the world is going on? Why would you do that to me? And she said, Steve, you know better than that. You know those are decorative pillows. <laughs> I'm a guy. The only purpose for a pillow, regardless of how fluffy it is, how big it is, how, how comfy it is, is to lay your head on it. Okay? There's no other purpose for me. But not my wife. She yanked that thing. She said, use a pillow that you can actually lay your head on. For me, all pillows. I don't discriminate. They're all to lay your head on. And you see, some of us treat the Holy Spirit like they're just 
like, like he's just for show. Like those pillows, they're just for show. You can't really use them. That's how we treat them. He's there. Like he's, the, he's part of the Trinity. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of on the JV team, but he's there. He's God, I guess, but he's just for show. And if we're not careful, we won't cultivate and develop this relationship that we can have with the Holy Spirit. And we'll miss out. We'll miss out on something amazing and powerful. And so my desire this morning is to establish in your minds and hearts the importance of the work of the Spirit in our lives. You see, some of us only think the Holy Spirit is an experience, right? We, we think that the, 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 the Holy Spirit is something that you experience during uh, a church service or a conference where you feel goosebumps and all that. But the Holy Spirit, when you look through the Scriptures, is so much more than just an experience. Amen? And so we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter number 16, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, phones, tablets, uh, you can uh, turn there. I'm going to be reading out of the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, and it'll be up on the screen for you to read along as well. Let me pray first. Father, we just pray that you administer to us through your word in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter number 16, starting with verse 5, and I'm going to read down to verse 11, and it says this. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. This is Jesus talking. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, when we read a passage of Scripture out of context, it can sometimes lose its power, right? What am I trying to say? Uh, when Jesus said this is just as important as what Jesus said here. You see, Jesus shared this passage of Scripture during the Last Supper. Okay? He is literally about to be arrested right after this meal that he has with his disciples. So what he's sharing here in this passage is incredibly important because these are his last parting words with his 12 disciples that he poured into, actually 11 disciples, uh, that he poured into for three and a half years. When we read through the Gospels, I think it would be a great exercise to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. I think the Gospels, that the story of Christ would come alive if we would try to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples when we read a story. You see, we have the revelation that Jesus had to die in order to provide salvation for us, but the disciples did not, they were not privy to this revelation. They did not understand this. They did not understand what Jesus meant when he said, I, I have to die. I have to, I have to go away. Uh, it brought, it, in fact, Jesus said that, there, that sorrow had filled their heart when he had told them these things because they didn't understand that revelation that Jesus had to die in order to provide salvation. They thought Jesus would rise to political power somehow and establish his kingdom that way. And so the disciples were not taking it that well when he was telling them, 
I have to go. And so with this backdrop, with this context in mind, Jesus tells them that it is an advantage to them that he goes away because without him going away, the helper would not be sent to them. And we know that this helper that Jesus is referring to is the Holy Spirit. Here's how the message translation words it. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. You see, the advantage that Jesus is talking about is directly related to the helper or friend that he's sending to us. You see, the word helper that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit here is the Greek word parakletos. And it means called to one side. It means called to one side. It means one who pleads another cause in a courtroom. It's an advocate. It also means comforter. You see, our advantage doesn't come from what we know, but who we know. It comes from the one that is called to come along beside us to help us fulfill everything that God has called us to fulfill. Our advantage comes from the one that comes beside us and causes us to become everything that God has called us to become. Amen? The Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you and I and help us to become everything that God has promised in our lives for us to become. He wants to come alongside of us and help us to fulfill everything that God has promised you and I as his sons and daughters. So that brings us to this question. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? Does it go beyond just giving us goosebumps? Does it go beyond just an Acts chapter 2 experience? What's the role of, our, of the Holy Spirit in our lives? In other words, as we develop this friendship with him, what will the Holy Spirit start to do? What work will the Holy Spirit start to accomplish in our lives? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 8 that when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When you and I think of the word convict, we automatically think of someone being found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of a crime they commit in a courtroom, right? That there's a preponderance of evidence that declares that this person is guilty. It's a declaration of guilt. But that's not the proper interpretation of this word in the context in which the Apostle John wrote this. As you look at Bible dictionaries, as you look at other commentaries on this, uh, on this verse, the proper meaning or translation of this word convict is not what you and I might think of. It's, it would actually... It's actually better translated as the word convince. So, so the Holy Spirit comes to convince us, convince you and I, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So why is this distinction so important? Because you and I need to understand that the Holy Spirit's job is not to condemn us for our sins, but set us free from our sins. 
The Holy Spirit, Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit to condemn you and I for our sins, but to set us free for our sins. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is condemnation. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is shame. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is guilt. No, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is, to convince us that He has not just come to just show us everything wrong in our lives, but there's a step further than that. He sets us free from those things. He sets us free from the bondage that comes with those things. He sets us free out of the prison that those sins cause to create and and create in our lives. Amen? Now, condemnation versus convincing is a powerful concept. Romans 8 and 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit's conviction in your life isn't to make you feel bad about all the things you're doing. It's to convince you that there's something better. It's to convince you that there's something better. Whatever it is that you're using as an escape, there's something better, and his name is Jesus. Whatever you're using to to fulfill something that's missing in your soul... There's something better, and his name is Jesus, and that's what the Holy Spirit convinces us of. The Holy Spirit convinces us that freedom in Christ is better than bondage to the world. You see, there's a lot of people that think that, that, that the way that they're living, the life of sin, a lifestyle of sin, that, that it is going to be, it, it's better than if they would serve God, but the Holy Spirit's job is to convince you and open your eyes To see that there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing nothing that can fill those parts of your life that you're trying to fill with all sorts of other things than Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit convinces us of. You see, the Holy Spirit convinces us that our identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in our sexuality, in our achievements. It it doesn't have to be wrapped up in our performance. That's what the Holy Spirit convinces us of. Now, will we feel a sense of guilt over our sins? Of course. Of course. Will we feel a sense of remorse and regret over our sins? Of course, but we can't just... Stay there. There's some of you in this place this morning that you feel guilty over your sins, you feel regret, you feel shame, but you haven't moved past that. And the Holy Spirit wants to convince you that there's more, there's something better, there's something greater. Amen? So the first thing that our friend, the Holy Spirit, will convince us of is sin. Sin. What is sin? a deep question if you think about it what's sin well obviously rejecting christ is the biggest sin one can commit because that's that carries eternal ramifications with it webster's dictionary defines sin as a transgression of the law of god so breaking one of the commandments god established in his word 
would be considered sin. Dictionary.com defines sin as a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. It's also uh, missing the mark on a target with, with God's law being the bullseye. James defines sin as anything that we know we ought to do but do not do in James chapter 4 and verse 17. One definition of sin that I really like that gave a deeper, more comprehensive meaning of sin came from uh, John Piper. And he defines sin as any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. And the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning is such a heart. A heart that prefers anything above God. A heart that does not treasure God over all other person and all other things. You see, when we think of sin, we always think of behavior. We always think of fruit. Uh, You you see, we always think of the outward stuff, right? Uh, But the sin behind the sin that's behind the sin that's behind the sin is ultimately a heart that puts anything above God, a heart that puts their country above God, a heart that puts their career above God, a heart that puts a relationship above God. That that is the root of all the other sins when we treasure good things above God. That can be sin. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit convinces us that whatever we are treasuring, pursuing, prioritizing, or desiring above God is not as fulfilling or ultimately satisfying as God. He convinces us that the joy of the Lord is better than the happiness that the world can give you. You see, because the happiness that the world can give you is temporary. You see, the joy of the Lord is not dependent upon circumstances. You see, when, 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 when I was in the hospital because of chemo and I thought I was going to die because I had magnesium levels that were, uh, one nurse told me she had never seen magnesium levels that low when I was in the hospital and I, my body was shutting down and the doctors thought I was having seizures, I could still have the joy of the Lord because I knew ultimately if I were to go, I know where I was going. see, the joy of the Lord isn't dependent upon your circumstances and situation. Because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? Come on, somebody. He convinces us that God's love is even greater than the love we receive from a spouse, a child, or a parent. He convinces us that peace with him is greater than security in the world. Not only does the Holy Spirit convince us that there's something better, but he convinces us that sin is ruling our lives, right? We can't, we, we can't see our need of a Savior without the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't, we, we can't come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit drawing us and wooing us towards Jesus, Okay? Without being convinced that sin is ruling our lives, we won't be convinced 
of our need of a Savior. And without being convinced of a need of a Savior, we can't have salvation. You see, Paul tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness. You see, and we can't see otherwise without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to it. And not only does the Holy Spirit draw us to Jesus at the moment of salvation, he also draws us back to Jesus every time we wander from the truth. Every time we wander from the truth, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us back. It's the Holy Spirit that woos us back. Jesus said in the parable of the prodigal son that the son finally came to his senses and realized and realized that it would be better to be a servant in his father's house than to be out in the world where he was end, where he ended up with regret and guilt and shame. You see, we can't come to our senses on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us to come to our senses because we're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We might think we are, but we're not. It's the Holy Spirit that causes the light bulb to go off in our head. And we come to our senses and say, I need Jesus. What I'm doing is only going to end in regret. What I'm doing is only going to cause me to be unfulfilled. I need Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. You see, we tend to judge ourselves by our, atten- by our intentions while judging others by their behavior. You see, we see the best in ourselves and we see the worst in everybody else. And so it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that turns the light bulb on and, and makes us see, you know what, we, we need help. We need help. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit. See, I'm saved, but I also have a sinful nature that causes me to do those things that I do not want to do. And the Holy Spirit has to constantly remind me and convince me that God's ways are better than my ways. God's ways are higher than my ways. God's ways are different than my ways. And it's the Holy Spirit that convinces us of these things. He convinces us of sin and he also convinces us of righteousness. See, and, when, 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 and the word righteousness, that's not good works. That's not good behavior. The word righteousness means right standing with God. Okay? And our good works, no matter how good we are, it cannot cause us to have right standing with God. It, it, righteousness is the state or condition of being acceptable to God. It, it means that you are justified before God, so that when you put your faith in Jesus, God the Father sees you just as if you never sinned before. That is powerful. That'll set you free right there. Uh, Romans 3, 22 through 24 says this, this righteousness or right standing with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, nowhere here does Paul say that our righteousness comes from our behavior. We don't enter a state of being acceptable to God 
by doing good things or by saying the right things or by thinking the right thoughts. Righteousness does not come from our behavior. And, I'm, and, and you know what? I'm going to make some religious people in here a little bit upset and mad. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to speak truth here. Okay? Paul tells us in this passage that our righteousness comes from our faith and belief in Jesus. In Jesus. You, you see... Our righteousness, we are righteous before our behavior ever changes. Did you hear me? We are righteous before our behavior changes. We are righteous when we put our faith in Jesus. We are righteous before we ever get baptized. We are righteous before we ever go through membership class. You see, you are righteous the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't make yourself righteous. Jesus makes us righteous. We are righteous because of what Christ did through his death and resurrection. We are righteous because God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus instead of you and I. Amen? Our righteousness is imputed to us because Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. Wow. Wow. And you see, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we are righteous before God because Jesus' finished work on the cross. Now, I didn't come all the way from New York City to Arlington, Texas to preach a sloppy grace now. Okay, just because our righteousness is based on what Jesus did doesn't mean that we don't have personal responsibility. You see, when we understand that God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus instead of us, that should make us, right? That should make us want to live our lives in a way that's honoring to God and pleasing to God and acceptable to God, right? And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us. Live that out. You see, there's a difference between ownership and possession, right? You can own something without possessing it. Okay, my, my wife had a birthday earlier this month, and I bought her a, a locket online. Okay, I owned that locket the moment I paid for it. The moment the money went out of my bank account, I owned it, but I didn't possess it until it came into the mail. Okay, so this is how many of us view righteousness. God made us righteous the moment we put our faith in Jesus, but yet many of us are acting like it's been paid for, but we'll, we're still waiting for it to come in the mail. You see, God is not like Amazon. You see, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are righteous. You are righteous. You have been made righteous when God the Father sees you. He doesn't see your sinfulness. He sees Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus that covers your sins. Amen? There's no waiting period. There's no waiting period to see if you're going to make it as a Christian. We don't go through a probation period to see, I don't know if that guy's going to make it. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus is the moment that you have been declared righteous before God. Faith in Christ equals righteousness before God, period. End of story. Here's the deal, though. Many believers have the revelation that at salvation, Jesus made them right with God. But after salvation, they have to keep themselves right with God. 
So they stop going to movies in order to stay right with God. They start reading their Bibles and praying, not to develop a relationship, but in order to stay right with God. They don't listen to secular music in order to stay right with God. That's called legalism, church. That's legalism. You see, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he will convince you that your right standing with God is all about Jesus and not about you. We like to make it about us. You you see, now, this is not a license to sin. You see, uh, God's wrath, again, was poured out on Jesus. Sin is serious to God. Obedience is a way of life for the believer. We are called to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit set us free, not that... Not so we could sin. He set us free from sin. Why would you go back to something that had you in bondage? The Holy Spirit freed us from that. Why would we go back? He didn't free us in order to sin. He freed us from sin. Amen? And if you feel that it's a license to sin, you are misunderstanding The grace of God. You're misunderstanding the grace of God. See, once we have that revelation, we sacrifice things in our lives that are keeping us from treasuring God above all things. Not in order to earn right standing with God. Big difference. Huge difference. Psalm 51.12, and i got to hurry here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Some of us are saved, but we have no joy. You see, you can have a relationship with Jesus without experiencing the joy in that relationship. Some of you are trying to earn a right standing with God and and, and you're resentful towards God because there's no joy. There's no joy in that. The joy in that salvation comes when we know that Christ has set us free. And we walk in that freedom. Right? That's where the joy comes from. See, many of us in here, we're saved, but we have no joy because we're trying to earn something that God already gave to us. And the moment you realize, I can't earn it, is the moment that the joy of your salvation will come back to you. If our righteousness is not based on what we do and don't do, but in what Jesus did for us, what's the incentive to live righteously? Gratitude. Love. And the fact that he who has been given much, much will be required of them. And I want it said of me, well done, good and faithful servant. got a couple minutes here judgment the holy spirit convinces us of sin righteousness and judgment john 16 11 says and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged what is the holy spirit going to convince us of concerning judgment that the ruler of this world has past tense been judged past tense been judged and we know that the ruler of the world that jesus is talking about here is satan The Holy Spirit is the one that convinces us that Satan is already judged. 
Christ's death was a judgment upon Satan. Christ's death was a judgment upon Satan. Satan lost his power when Jesus went to the cross. And as I say that, we look around and we see racial tension and division. We see North Korea threatening nuclear war. We see ISIS plotting another terrorist attack. We see sexual immorality being celebrated. We see evil people in power. We see violence all around us. And we might be thinking to ourselves that, that, that how can Satan already be judged when all of these things are happening in our world? Uh, we, 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 you know, we might think that this isn't right. This isn't right. We might look inwardly at our own lives and we see that we still are struggling with fear. We're still struggling with insecurity. We're still struggling with a sin that, that, that just keeps coming up, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. We have victory for a while and then we fall. We have victory for a while and, and we're like, how has Satan already been judged? But I still keep struggling with the same issues. I'm still discouraged. I'm still dis- depressed. Uh, I'm still down. Might be thinking, Man, how has Jesus defeated Satan? You know, I think Satan is in denial. That's the only way I could, I could put it. He knows he's been defeated, but he's not going to give up until he's ultimately, ultimately thrown into the lake of fire for eternity, right? He already knows he's defeated, so he's going to try his best to go out with a bang. But we know, we know because the Holy Spirit will convince us that he's already been judged he's already been judged here's what the holy spirit will convince us of concerning judgment and this is very important that we don't fight for victory but from a place of victory we're not fighting for victory we already have victory because jesus went to the cross we're not fighting for victory we fight from a place of victory jesus is seated at the right hand of the father he's ruling and reigning and we fight from that place that Jesus has already won victory by going to the cross. He's defeated sin and death and everything that comes from it through his resurrection. Amen? So we don't fight for victory, but from a place of victory. Those who reject Christ will be judged. And God will, will judge the evil in the world and bring justice once and for all. Some of us are looking for justice in this world right now. We might not find it right now, but we will find it eventually. God will bring justice. He will make all things new. And the Holy Spirit convinces us of this. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. When you were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your sins and in in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it, to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And as I'm closing this morning, the word disarmed in this verse 15 means to undress or to strip off one's clothes. You see, when Christ went to the cross, he stripped the devil and his demons of their authority and their power and their influence in our lives. He literally stripped them. Not only did he strip them, but he made a public spectacle of them. Like a warrior flashing the people that he just defeated. 
in front of a crowd of people, he made a public spectacle of the devil and his demons. Listen as we close to what John Piper said about this passage. When Christ died for our sins, Satan was disarmed and defeated. The one eternally destructive weapon that he had was stripped from his hand, namely his accusation before God that we are guilty and should perish with him. When Christ died, that accusation was nullified. The devil can no longer go to God and say, so-and-so is guilty and they deserve eternal punishment. When you put your faith in Jesus, that curse, that accusation was made nullified. Has zero power over your life. Amen? Zero power over your life. So when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said, it's an advantage to you because he will convince you that, that there's something better than the sin that's ruling in your lives. That your righteousness does not come from your behavior but comes from Jesus. And he'll convince you that Satan has been defeated once and for all. And that you and I, we don't fight for victory, but we fight from a place of victory. You are victorious, church. You are victorious. You have victory. Some of you don't believe it. But the Holy Spirit is going to convince you of it. Amen. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes in this place? Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and move in our lives today. Holy Spirit, we call upon you to touch our hearts, to do something incredible. I pray that there would be open hearts and open minds in this place, Lord. 